the Mesh Young Adult Ministry Podcast. Today, we will be looking at why we should reach young adults. Now to our host, Randy Jones. So, uh, look at your handout, Reaching Young Adults. We've talked about this period of young adulthood as a disassociation from church. Um, Regardless of what statistics you look at or who you ask, about two-thirds of young adults uh, stop practicing their faith uh, following uh, their graduation from high school. That means students, kids who've been involved in church, uh, who've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, about two-thirds of them quit participating. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm just saying about two-thirds of them quit going to church or work getting collaborating with other people of like-minded faith. The reason why um, are the reasons why are myriad, uh, but one of the big factors is people trying to figure out who they are themselves. They're asking, qu- answering questions like, who am I? Who can I trust? Uh, what can I contribute? What can I do? What, can I can, wh- what else is out there? So all your life you've gone to First Baptist Church and your parents drug you there, and now you don't have to go to First Baptist Church anymore because you'd like to go try something else. You see this, uh, this is, uh, there's a book, uh, what's the name of the author? Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. You see this currently in young African Americans significantly who are leaving traditionally black churches to try churches that are not traditionally black. You see this also in the Hispanic community. This suddenly, the, all your life, generations, you've been required to attend here and you're like, I'd like to see something else. Some of our African Americans are laughing. Am, am I? <laughs> But like, there's a book written on this whole phenomenon that it's happening all over, uh, and it comes with a lot of, uh, of uniqueness. Uh, you get a lot of pushback from older black generations. You get a lot of letdown from family. You're like, what do you mean? Why is there out there? This phenomenon is not just black and white. I would argue, and the author does, this has actually happened in white culture for decades already. Uh, they were just a little more more likely to move not to a black church, but more likely to try a different kind of church. So they, if you grew up First Assembly of God all your life, then the idea of going to New Life just sounds cool, or going to First Methodist just sounds cool because it's different from what you've always known. And it's part of these questions of identity. I want to try something. I want to see something different. And then we talked about how do we respond with that, we gotta respond with compassion and love. So I used to get really hurt and offended and mad when someone would walk in who was 20, 21 and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to go to new life. I just feel like I fit in better there. Now I'm just hurt. (laughs) I'm no longer offended and mad. I would be lying to tell you if I wasn't hurt. Um, But I understand, it's just, this is where people are at. We're gonna respond with compassion and love and just know that there's people at other churches who are now coming to our place. This is part of the rotation. We've got to respond to these questions with compassion, and we've got to respond to them in love and know that the longer we're in it, the more committed we are to people, the more likely our people are going to let us down and hurt us. It's just what happens. Secondly, patience and understanding kind of goes with that. Third, engagement. What does missions teach us? Uh, that doesn't mean we quit. That doesn't mean we give up. I refuse to accept the cultural norm that two-thirds of people stop practicing their faith. I refuse to accept it. I refuse to accept it. I could care less. I could say 90% of all people who were white or were racist at one period in history. I refuse to accept that. Just because it's the dominant concept does not mean it's right. And if we just say, hey, that's what's going to go on. That's just what's going to happen. 
then they win, we lose. So I don't like this stat, so rather than just saying, oh, that's what happens, I refuse to accept it. And we're going to push back on it because we're going to change the narrative. Um, we're going to do it with indigenous principle. Uh, young adults are best able to reach young adults, that you are the best people to reach your own generation. It, it, it works best when you're re replicating yourselves amongst other people. And I believe God's calling and sending some of you to do it. I really do. I believe God, through this process, is going to speak to some of you to specifically be engaged in this process. I'm excited for other areas of your life and ministry. I'm excited for other areas of your journey. I know some of you at some point in your life want to be missionaries overseas. I'm asking you to be voices for your own age group and your own community now. And I want to talk a little bit about self-segregation and cultures divide. Has anybody ever heard that term self-segregation before who hasn't read any of my writings? <laughs> That's probably going to be a new term for you, uh, most of you. Um, but segregation, if I said what is segregation, you would say what? How would you define segregation? Separating. All right, segregation means separating, but more than just separating, it's separating in what? It's dividing and, and, and separating into distinct categories. You can just separate something, but you separate in group. That's segregation. Is, so that's close, clearly associated in American history with what? Racism. And that's the driving force. But what did it turn out to look like? I mean, practically speaking, what does segregation look like in American culture? economic but simplest answer is the best come on guys talk with me you've had bagels you've had it so what did 1950s look like in america separate but equal, separate but equal? <laughs> you gave me an answer okay so what did that look like 1952 i go to a restaurant what does it look like all white or all black 1948 I, this high uh, high schools in north little rock how many high schools were there two why were there two high schools in 1948? One black, one white. You segregate, you divide. If you were a black kid and you wanted to go to the white school, could you do that? If you were a white kid and wanted to go to the black school, could you do that? No. You're div divided and you're separated and you have no choice over it. And it affected what areas? We, we said schools and we said restaurants. What other areas? Businesses. Church. Inside venues. What else? Housing. Housing. So you had black neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, right? And if an African-American applied for to buy a, uh, to get a home loan to buy a house, um, they were not allowed to do so in certain neighborhoods. Their credit score failed just by their ethnicity, right? So like you, it was forced and it was segregated. Brown versus Board of Education, other lawsuits, other things that happen throughout history, segregation as an institution begins to dematerialize and crumble. Fair to say? Did it actually do anything with the, what was going on in people's hearts? Functionally, no. And so um, last week, if you were here, I talked about how the effects of secularism and the effects of how these things move in in our lives that each of us in our current culture today, you've been taught in probably you've accepted this worldview that what each one of us does is we each have our own little sphere our own little circle this is my world and you have your world I'll believe what's in mine and I'm fine with mine 
you believe with yours and you're fine with yours and so we don't intermingle those things so government should have a separation of church and state um, this this separating piece this week I was at an event it's a true story I was this Wednesday was in a meeting that was the it was a ministerial association for stopping youth violence in North Little Rock so it is ministers pastors called by religious leaders and our whole working thing we've got one big project we're working on after all this effort it, the Layman Library is going to house it. This whole big thing we're working on, they're going to put it on their website, and then the director of the library raised her hand and said, I'm sorry, we're not going to, because the one girl said, well, I've noticed all the churches were removed. Like, all of our names are gone. All of, all of the church stuff is removed. And she said, well, we have to honor separation of church and state. And, I, and so, like, I raised my hand. I was to be a punk. I'm just like, so, but this whole, com this whole group is actually a faith-based group. And she's like, well, we, we can't do church and state. And I'm like, well, then we, and I, I, I that's what I did. I was like, oh, what? I, okay. And it was over. And uh, the person from the mayor's office came and said, okay, we got to figure this out. <laughs> it's like, you, it's like saying, hey, you're going to be a Chick-fil-A, but you got to serve beef. <laughs> like, we'll let you open one, but you can only serve hamburgers, no chicken then why would you call yourself Chick-fil-A? <laughs> like that kind of thing. This idea that you got to separate and you're like, we can't offend anybody. And, and then she actually said these words. I was like, you set me up for teaching. She said, um, now you guys can do your own thing and we're happy for you, but we got to do our thing. And I said, but our thing is your thing in this situation. And she's like, well, we, we just, we got to keep separate. And so this idea that we each have our own little spheres. And so um, you're in your own world, you do your own thing. And when you have a multitude of groups, when you have a bunch of different things, that this faith in isolation, if you have a multiple different isolated groups, you call that pluralism. And there on your handout is that isolation is this idea that it's your own personal frame. Pluralization is that there's a whole bunch of circles and spheres that are all equal. So if you're if let's do church world real fast because this one's easy for you to explain if you go to an assembly of god church but you love jesus are you okay yeah you're okay if you go to a baptist church and you love jesus are you okay answer me back yes yeah, okay yeah okay you go to a methodist church you love jesus but you don't go to the ag church you go to a baptist church but we're okay with that right so it's like you do your own thing you relate to jesus there's obviously some differences but we'll forgive that it's okay no big deal then pluralization does the same thing. Say, well, I'm going to be a Christian. You just live in your own world, and you're, you just do your thing, okay? If you're, if, let's say you're a Muslim, that, you know, i got problems with that, but you know what? You're, you, it's a free country. You keep your stuff to yourself. You kind of live in your own. I'm going to be an atheist. I'm not going to believe in God at all. That's your own little sphere. And this was the idea of what we would get to in a pluralistic society is that everybody's got their thing. Does this make sense? Kind of does, does this sound like your own personal like schooling and other existence? Probably some of you've actually felt this way. Fair? Problem is two things. Number 1, if you're a Christian, what are you told to do with your faith and other people? Share. Share. So you're supposed to come into someone else's circle. We call this evangelism. And those churches like ours over the last hundred years who've done a lot of evangelisms have been evangelisms have done a lot of evangelism 
have been called evangelical churches. Evangelical churches are people who go and say, this is who we are, this is who you could be, let me share your faith. Now, is evangelical a good word or a dirty word in today's culture? Why? What does it mean? Rude? Forcing your beliefs on others, hypocritical, radical, radical. Judgmental. judgmental, and partly because us evangelicals in this circle have done a couple things wrong. Number one, we've been stupid. Fair to say? Got a lot of stupid stuff going on. Uh, secondly, we've given up talking about Jesus and talked about issues a lot. And so we've turned the Jesus story into very important things like alcohol. We've turned them into things like abortion. We've turned homosexuality. Uh, we, what are some other things evangelicals are famous for? Well, let's, let me just keep talking. Okay. Because okay. Um, let me just step and say, I believe homosexuality is a sin. I do. I believe scripture. I, be, I believe abortion is wrong. I believe it's a sin. It's the taking of a life. So these, these are, I'm not saying those things are not true or not wrong, good or not wrong. What I'm saying is those, those issues have those became the issues, not Jesus. Okay? And then what happened is our own stupidity comes alongside that and our own hypocrisy. And people are like, I don't want to. And then we, then we were just loud and wrong. And then evangelicals said, okay, this isn't working. So you know what we're going to do? We got to find a power structure that can help us accomplish our voice and our mission. We gotta, if, we, if we can't convince you by talking to you and yelling at you, maybe we can find a way to force you. And in American politics, the evangelicals associated with a political force. And at first blush, it made perfect sense. Because after all, we had all these shared values. And then what happened was... We discovered that political force and system was not faith-based, but was ego-based. Unless you think I'm talking about Donald Trump. I'm not. I'm talking about the 1980s. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about 1980s. Because what happens is anytime people of faith associate themselves with a non-faith-based structure, guess what happens? You get the whole ball game. And so... What we discovered is some of our newfound friends had things that we didn't really like. And now we're forced to deal with it. And now we move to what's called the lesser of evils. So we get all this stuff. Everybody's in their own frame. Not only is we're, doing our, we're, we're supposed to go tell these other people, but there's a second problem that comes with evangelicals and people sharing their faith is because it isn't just the Christians who are doing this. Who else is doing this? Muslims are doing this. Um, I've got Turkish friends and Islamic friends in this community. We've been in a relationship with them for years. I'll tell you, part of their agenda in connecting with us and hanging out with us is that they could, we will convert to Islam. I'm, I'm not stupid. So you've got this, all this happening. Everybody's got their own individual things. And then what happens is all of them ram into each other. And I know you can't see it on this whiteboard because the deal is bumped, but you got a problem is you got conflict. Because my immediate sphere all sort of slam into each other. And it doesn't work. Because what happens when 
you and your fr Muslim friend and your atheist friend all are confronted with someone with cancer. And you want to pray for their healing. And the Muslim says, well, I want to pray to Allah. And the atheist says, I don't want you to pray at all. So you have all this collision of ideas that are going on right now and people are frustrated and confused and how, what happens when things are in conflict? And then something else happens. At the bottom, I call this social clumping. So talking about young adults today, college students and 20-somethings, would you say that your age bracket is more, more tolerant or less tolerant of people of other cultures? Why do you say that? Okay. Raised to be more tolerant, exposed to more. What else? I'm accepted, exposed to more, but not raised that way. What else? So would your generation, in your opinion, be more tolerant or less tolerant of people of different cultures and backgrounds? I would say that they project tolerance and they project that, but in action they are not. Project tolerance, but in actuality aren't. So let's run a couple scenarios. Let's think about the big riots over society in the last five years, geographically. What are some of the, five to 10 years, what are some of those locations where the big riots have taken place? Washington, D.C., Baltimore. Where? Portland. Los Angeles. Ferguson, St. Louis. You're missing the biggest one, Minneapolis. Um, if you draw a map of, the, of America, where are these actually not? I'll give you Charleston is the one. Where are these not located? Isn't this interesting? Because if you had to say, what's the most racially divided communities in America, which would you say? South. There is a common denominator in all of those, however. You know what the common denominator in all of those locations is? Let's take DC off the table for a second. They're all what? Big diversity. Big diverse cities that are forced, everyone's together, forced. What else? They're all the center, they have, there's a lot of economics involved. Um, the, the observation that people are more tolerant of projecting tolerance rather than they are is a very astute observation. Would it surprise you if I told you that there are more hate groups that have started in the last five years in America than in any period in history? Would that surprise you? Would, I, would it surprise you that the demographics of the fastest growing groups are ages 17 to 25? So you saying you shake your head no. So how come you think you're the most diverse 
and the most tolerant because you're not. And let me just suggest for a second, you have fooled yourselves because you think you're better than everyone else. Because quite frankly, your generation is more intolerant than mine, statistically speaking. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and I, these are not my numbers. These are Department of Homeland Security and FBI numbers. Do you think what has happened with social media and them seeing 25, they don't know themselves, they don't even know what's going on, they just want to go through it? Yeah. That's crazy because they just want to go get a start, be, be involved. They in want some kind of power in their life. Yeah. They want some kind of take charge or something to control, to gain control. What'd you say, Salvador? To leave, realities. to leave their realities. Let me let me insert before you continue because it's great thoughts. I just lied to you when I said I had no idea. I have an idea. That was a that was a that was a flippant <laughs> statement. So I realized as I was saying it, that was a whatever. I'm frustrated with. Yeah, I I don't know for certain. I got some ideas. So let me ask this next question before you keep talking. So what makes up these hate groups in your mind? What's the what's the typical demographic? I gave you the age. What's the demographic? Super white people. people. Y'all agree with that? You're absolutely wrong. It's blacks. Black nationalism is outpacing white nationalism like three to one currently. Like identified by the Southern Poverty and Law Center, which means, does anybody even know what that is other than the old people in the room? So the Southern Poverty and Law Center is the voice of Dr. King in the civil rights movement of that period. That is their group. That is the Southern Law and Poverty. I can't, I'm, I'm stumbling over it. But they're the people who have embodied racial reconciliation and anti-hate groups in America for the last 60 plus years. And their biggest fear currently is black nationalism. Do you guys, uh, and I, we've got black and white in the room, so I'd like to hear from you. Why do you think this is? Does that surprise you in the black nationalism, specifically those who you're black? I'm asking because I want to learn. I think there's a lot of that. What else? I know you're nervous because this is a nervous conversation, <laughs> right? Because we got to. But let me suspend say, if we don't have the conversation here, then it's going to be done somewhere else with people without the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's going to be done in the streets with people that turn. Yeah. So what are you going to say? Just does it surprise you that there are that there are rising numbers of black nationalists and it's outpacing white nationalism? I think people want revenge. Think revenge is a big part of it?
in the vision was good. I mean, our ancestors did it, but they couldn't actually come out of it. So let me, let me, because we're friends, let me jump on this one for you, okay? Can I use your, can I use your words as an illustration? It's not about you. Here's the thing. We have to be able to talk about current situations abstractly from ourselves. If we don't ever take them outside of ourselves, both, both sides of this equation, then it becomes incredibly personal and words are heard personally. One of your signs of maturity is to be, ab is to be able to talk about issues absent your own involvement engagement. So um, I can tell a story about how I was up for an award in high school and I scored higher or I did better but someone, a person of color was chosen to go because they had to have equal representation even though I performed better. I can tell that story. But I also know my friend who was chosen over me could tell the story of sequential historical relegation to lack of learning so that there was no way they had a chance to beat me. Follow me? So which one deserved it? The one who overcame every obstacle in life to be able to even get involved in the conversation or me who did better on the test? The answer to that is, good luck with figuring that out. Um, so let me just sit, boil it to this because I know we could talk about this for hours. So we talked about segregation in the 50s, that that was forced segregation. You had no choice. You have no choice. If you wanted to go to a black school and you were white, couldn't happen. You want to go to a white school and you're black, couldn't happen. How sad is it that we have reached a point in a culture today that our forefathers have fought to end segregation and yet we have self-segregated today ourselves. That people marched in the streets for the rights for us to be together and instead we've chosen to self-clump along our own lines and forfeited the very thing that many of them were beaten for. I don't know why, all the, I don't know all the reasons. I think there's a lot of justification in wanting revenge. I, I, when I say, I, I understand, I think I can understand the thought process. I, I think I can understand the frustrations of being saying, but I wasn't the one who did this, so why are you taking revenge on me? I, I think I can understand all of that, but at the end of the day, how foolish are we to self-segregate and clump? when others created an opportunity for us to be together. And this is my fear. My fear for us as a group is if we're not careful, we're gonna eventually start fragmenting and we're gonna start separating just along those clicks that you talked about at your school. So it's not all over race, it's, it's economics, it's background, it's culture, it's music styles, it's choices. We like to clump because we like to be around the people that we are. I wish Raymond was here because he and I have the standing joke now for 12 years, but um, I've told you before and I will reiterate it again. If I come into this group and I see all the black people at one table and all the white people at the other, I will physically pick you up and move one of you because I refuse to fall into the, to the pathways of the world around us. And if you don't want that, please leave our church and go somewhere else.
really actually means so much that I probably talked with my friends like two nights ago about it. Okay. And my question to you, because I trust you and your intellect and, and your advice, what are we supposed to do? Because I don't like that. I think it's disgusting, disgusting that they want to self-segregate all of us. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I can't be a part of a group because of the color of my skin, and they're expecting the same thing if they were coming to the crime group. And that's, that's disgusting. And now what are we supposed to do to stop that? Because that's everywhere. I would answer that question in two ways. First, let's, um, let's take skin out of the game, literally, because I think it applies in every situation where people segregate, okay? So it's, it's more pronounced in our culture today when it comes to color. But uh, answer number one is um, I am goofy in all settings. So when our black students are all together, some of them will tell you, I walk up right in the middle and act like a fool, don't I? I laugh with them, I joke with them, and I do everything I can to understand what they're talking about, and I don't defend my position ever. So a couple weeks ago, a group of our African Americans, some of you in this room, uh, did something that I felt, quite frankly, was inappropriate that was all along these lines. And I know it was humor, and I know it was done just to be funny, and you think it, and, and there's probably, but I, I didn't go along with it, but I also didn't defend myself. I've also been with a group of our white students who have done stupid stuff. I don't defend the others, but I try to learn everything I can. So step number one is you walk in and you sit down at a different table. And that's whether you're black or white, that's whether you like country music or you write rock and roll music, I don't know, whatever music that is the opposite of country. Uh, it means you, you do it, people who, who have one economic status or the other, you insert yourself in the process no matter how awkward or goofy it is. I would rather be awkward and goofy than be isolated and hate-filled or perceived that way. Uh, secondly, you have to apologize when you do those goofy, dumb things. Say, I did this, I messed up, I'm sorry, I didn't know what I meant. And then you have to also forgive people when they do that. So, you have to forgive people. Um, this is a longer conversation. Um, the point being today, as Rachel comes up, I realize I have messed up y'all's time. Uh, Rachel, come on up and... She's going to do her leadership lesson. The point being is this. Our young adults are clumping, and we're going to push every, against everything against that. So here's how you can help me change who you sit with. Rachel Stafford, ladies and gentlemen.